Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Uh, my name is Will Plunk. I introduce myself, and um, I would love the chance to get to meet you. We do, like uh, Sarah said, believe churches to be family. Um, we think this moment matters deeply, and we also think the way we live together um, in community and with love matters deeply, and so we would love to, to get to know you. Um, Jonah's been uh, quite a book, in my opinion. Um, it's just, it's one that'll mess with you a little bit if you read it. Uh, Ehud wrote a paper on it. If you want to ask her, she'll give it to you. Um, she really did. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a book, and it'll mess with you, and I hope, it, I hope you've been able to hear and listen to God some in, in this series. We got two more weeks. I'm just looking at the first four verses of Jonah 4, and then we'll finish it out next week and even have a time kind of open mic for us to respond in regards to what God's, God's taught us, which will be special. But let me pray, and we'll get in this morning. Father God, <clears throat> um, I've got the privilege of studying and just sitting in Isaiah 55 recently, and um, a lot of it's been hitting me the idea of why, why would we spend money on what is not bread or labor on what doesn't satisfy. That we should listen, listen to you come and eat what is good, delight in the richest affair. Thinking about how your word doesn't come back empty, but instead accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Not only do you have plans for people, but you have plans for your word, and your word always does what you want it to do. It never fails or falls short. It will always accomplish its purpose. Lord Jesus, we come this morning in hopes that we would all have receptive hearts and minds and hands to the purpose that you want to accomplish through your word. We read it. We believe that it's infallible and inspired and inerrant, that there's no other document like it, that it has the ability to tear apart joints and marrow, to get into our soul and spirit, to show us the deepest parts of us that we need to bring before the throne of God. We believe that every person who is a saint will be built up by the word of God. We believe that it's bread. That man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from you. Jesus, may you accomplish everything you want to accomplish this morning through your word. We do ask these things, and we want to come humbly. All God's kids said, amen. I want to talk to you about the conscience today. Can you say conscience? I want to talk to you about the conscience today as we look at the first four verses of Jonah chapter 4. The conscience is the moral faculty given to every human being, regardless of religious or cultural background, that is to allow us or enable us to discern between what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. The Greek word is sunadesis. It's a compound word, soon meaning with, desis meaning knowledge. It's the faculty we've been given to acquire knowledge about morality. It's to point us to what's right. But the conscience can become mistuned, misaligned, so that it misfires. The conscience is kind of like a compass. 
So if you'll come back in time with me for a little bit, way before there was Apple Maps on your phone or a GPS in your dash or MapQuest on your computer, all the way back even before there were many road signs when you had to get to a destination solely by knowing the coordinates. The compass would have been the tool that you needed to get to where you were going the one you would rely on the most, the one that could tell you how to get to where you needed to be. But if it was broken or wrong, mistuned or misaligned, instead of being the tool that would aid you to your destination, it would actually assist you in getting you more lost. So here's the question I want to ask to all of us this morning. Is your conscience tuned to the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. I want us all to think about this. Is your conscience tuned to the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God? Because if it's not, you might be like Jonah, thinking what's good is bad and what's bad is good. What's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And instead of headed to your final destination, your heavenly home, you might be running towards lostness. Jonah 4.1 says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Everybody say wrong. This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So if you're just jumping into us mid-series, Jonah is a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hated God for loving his enemies. Jonah had received a call from God. This prophet received a call from God. Instead of obeying, he ran literally in the opposite direction to Tarshish. He got on a boat. God sent a storm. That storm stopped Jonah in his tracks. He got hurled into the sea. God sent a fish. That fish grabbed Jonah, and and that fish vomited Jonah back on track. Jonah gave a dismal sermon to uh, the Ninevites, but nevertheless, this dismal sermon still resulted in mass revival. Literally, thousands of Assyrians are repenting from their sin and turning to believe in God, and that's chapter 3. And then chapter 4, verse 1 says... But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. But to Jonah, right now, what he's doing is calling what God did bad instead of good. God says, this is my will. I'm accomplishing this. I'm doing this. And to Jonah, it seemed very wrong, and he became angry. You see, Jonah's conscience is mistuned. It's misaligned, and it's misfiring. Look at verse 2. He prays to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Like, listen, like, this prayer is such a selfish, self-focused prayer. Literally, in, in the original, the, the word I or my is used nine times in the English translation. It's used four times. Jonah's like, this is not what I wanted. See, I tried to stop this. I didn't want you to do this. Why are you doing this, God? It literally is like Jonah was, like, looking up to God, wagging his finger at God, saying, I told you so. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. Look at your mama say, hey, mama, I told you, you know, you said, shoo, you talking back? 
He's like, God, I done told you so. See, this is what I was trying to avoid when I was fleeing to Tarshish. This is what exactly what I didn't want to happen. I can't believe you would do this for those people, those Assyrians, those skin-flaying, violent, gossiping, faction-having, pagan-worshiping people. How could you do that for them? To him, it seemed very wrong. I don't know about you. You ain't ever like, how could God do that for them? That just don't seem right. You ever feel that way? God gave her a boyfriend? No. Then they done get engaged, and then now they get married, and he's a good guy. God, do you know her? Not, no. Yeah, some of y'all, y'all know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, no, I cannot. But, like, you gave him the promotion? But I know. I seen him. Like, they got a house. They newlyweds. We've been in the game for a minute. Their parents bought them a house while my parents bought me a house. That might be personal, right? Like, <laughs> I was having a conversation the other day with a, <clears throat> a church planner in town. He's just a couple years in, and, uh, but he's, in, he's a local guy, and he was just telling a story. It's very encouraging over coffee because that's how pastors, you know what I'm saying? We drink coffee together and read the Bible. And uh, so anyways, we're talking, and he's telling me a story, and then he gets near the end, and he's just like, you know, and then God just kind of miraculously provided us this building. I was like, yeah. <laughs> cool, man. I mean, that's great God did that for you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, that is great. Yeah, okay, God. It's like murmuring grumbling against what God is doing for somebody else. Why? Because you, we think we know what's right. We think we know what's good. We think we know what God should do. And here's one of the things that's very interesting in Jonah right here. One of the things you see is Jonah was reluctant to obey God because he was afraid his obedience would result in an outcome he did not desire. So he was hesitant to obey because he felt like he had determined the way in which things should go if he did obey, right? So for some of us, right, like, like we go, I know the way things should go if I get involved in the church or if I get involved in community. This is how they should treat me. I know how it should go. We've determined that. We go, I know how people should respond to me if I confess sin. They should respond in this, this way. If I serve, then I should be appreciated or thought of in this way. If I stand up for whatever is like morally right at my workplace or my business place, then this should happen. We've determined what the outcome should be of something in whatever situation it may be. We think if we read our Bible, then we should feel this way or our life should go that way. If we pray for our sick family member, then God should respond like this. What we have done is we've put ourselves in the place of God trying to say that we should be the one who determines the outcome of what is good and evil in the world. But what I want to say today is that's not our job, family. That is God's job. God is the one who determines and decides what the outcome should be. God has called us to faithfulness. He has promised us fruitfulness. But the type and the timing of the fruit is up to God. He's called us to faithfulness. And yes, he has promised us 
fruitfulness. But the timing and the type of the fruit he provides, the outcome, is fully in the hands of the Lord. It is not for us to decide, but for some time, or sometimes we get all backwards trying to say the ending is wrong because we are putting ourselves in the place of God. We think we know what is good. Family, we don't know what good is. We don't know all of what God knows. Here is what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you, though are evil, Matthew 7, 11, if you, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? I was um, listening to a, a song that came up on my release radar on Friday. You know what I'm talking about? I run songs into the ground, too. <laughs> Mally will tell you. And, uh, but it's got this line in it, and he go, it goes, if it's not good, then he's not done, and he's not done with it yet. He says, if it's not good, then he's not done, and he's not done with it yet. Here's the truth. Either he's not done, and he's in process, or he's not done, and he's in process changing what we understand good to be. God is a God who gives good gifts. However, Jonah is not interpreting the gift as good because his conscience has misdefined what good is. And you see it in the second part of his prayer. He says, isn't this what I said when I was trying to, still at home, when I was trying to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? Then he says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, now, everywhere else in our Bible, these attributes, this prayer would be a prayer of adoration talking about how great God is. Jonah, instead of praising God for his goodness, is condemning him for it. He's literally going, God, you I knew you were a gracious God, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Can you imagine saying that to God in anger? God, I knew it. This is his tone. I knew it. I didn't want to do it because I knew you were compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounds, you're bounding in love. Man, you relent from sending calamity. God, can you imagine? Yet for Jonah, what is good about God has become bad to him. His conscience has become distorted. It has become twisted. It is mistuned. It is misaligned. And, and so now Jonah in this moment is calling what is good bad and what is bad good. But here's the thing, family, and I want you to hear me say this. Your conscience is only as reliable as you have yielded it to be tuned by the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. Your conscience is only as reliable as you have given it over to be tuned 
by the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. It is very, very, very possible for us to be calling good things bad and bad things good, for us to be calling right things wrong. And we need to ask ourselves, where is that happening in our life? But this is a process that is laid out in the Scriptures. And I want you to know that it's fundamentally true because some of us are deeply conviction-led, like literally we're led by convictions. And I want you to know we can have strong convictions with the mistuned compass that will lead us right off the edge, right off the edge. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.4. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He says, my conscience can be clear, and I can be dead wrong. I can feel like I am doing exactly what I should be doing, living my life exactly how I should be living my life, doing all the things I think I need to be doing, but I can be dead wrong. So here's the question. How does a prophet who goes from praising God a couple of chapters ago get to be so mistuned, misaligned to where his conscience is misfiring? And it is a process the scriptures lay out. Now, this material is coming chiefly from um, one of my professors, Kevin DeYoung, and he's got a little book on the conscience. But I want to kind of give you this process because I think it's very helpful because your conscience starts off healthy. Now, if you're in the Lord Jesus, if you're in Christ and it truly has been attuned to him, it starts off a particular way. It is given to you so that it can point you towards north. Now, your upbringing and all that stuff is going to affect it, but let's just say that your conscience is healthy. Well, it starts doing what it's supposed to do, telling you what's wrong, telling you what's right, and you listen to it. It says this is right, you do it. You says this is wrong, you don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? Like your, your mind and your hands and your heart are all attuned to the Word of God. But over time, what can happen is your conscience can become evil. An evil conscience is this. It still is working properly, convicting you of sin, but what is happening is instead of listening to it, you are running from what God is calling you to do or running to what God is calling you not to do. Kind of like Jonah running from the call that God has put on him. And when you continue to, do, to follow an evil conscience, doing the opposite of what God is telling you to do over time and time again, what happens is you start wounding your conscience. You continue and perpetually go against your conscience. It's taken blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. And over time, what happens, and this is what 1 Timothy 4.2 says, it speaks of the, the, the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Your conscience becomes seared. A seared conscience is one where it used to have healthy receptors to the voice of God. But through constant offending, what has happened is scar tissue has grown over what used to be a healthy receptor trying to convict you of sin and convict you towards good so that now it has no feeling. Kind of like it's become frostbitten. Or you can think of a musician who through constant practice, their fingertips become callous. And what used to feel no longer feels because they have a callus grown over this. This is a seared conscience. This is Jonah on the boat in his disobedience falling asleep into a deep sleep, it says. Running from God, growing comfortable in running. Now your conscience is numb 
to what God has been trying to tell you. The signs the Holy Spirit's trying to get at you. Your conscience has become numb to it. But here's the thing is the conscience doesn't just stay numb. After a time, it actually becomes defiled. Let me read you a verse from Titus chapter 1. Verse 15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are defiled or corrupted. A defiled conscience is a conscience that calls what is good bad. It's a conscience that calls what is bad good. And here's what you need to hear, family. Your conscience is only as reliable as you have yielded it to be tuned by the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. Right now, Jonah's conscience is defiled, so he is calling the attributes of God bad when they're good. Now, let me make it plain, all right? Y'all know I'm a pastor who likes application, so we're going to get into it. For many of us, we're not aware of the ways in which what we have convictions towards or beliefs in are actually not what God thinks at all. Our consciences have been shaped and determined by things other than the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. Let's take love, for example. Many in our culture, in the Christian sphere, still want to define love as giving people the ability and the acceptance to be able to define their reality in whatever way they want to, and that it would be hate to interfere with the things that they are trying to do and try to correct them in accordance with the Word of God. But let me tell you something. Jesus, who had nothing but love in his heart, went to all types of people, but as he engaged every single type of person, he calls all of us to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves and follow him, that if we want to save our life, we must lose it. That's love. All right, y'all ain't with me yet. Let's talk money. For many of us, we are saving, investing, and spending in alignment with our own purposes and desires or in accordance with what some financial guru has told us who has no real uh, care for the Word of God. And so our whole view on money is be sh being shaped by some sort of like American worldview that says we just need to go up and to the right our whole lives. Let me tell you something. That is not the way the Bible reads about money. That's not even close to the way the Bible reads about money. But for many of us, like we're, we're just buying what, what the world's saying. All right, how about politics? You know, all right, Jonah said, come on. All right, Jonah. How about, how about politics? For many of us, our whole political views are being shaped not on the word of God, but on what some sort of political pundit says. So we buy either side's political agenda wholesale, allowing them to package our ethics rather than the word of God to package our ethics, which would demand us to reject what parts of both parties are saying. Where are your ethics being packaged? Where's your morality being defined? By the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God? How about just simply this? God wants me to be happy. For some of us, we think that is the number one thing God wants in our life. 
God wants me to be happy. God, God wants me to be happy. Jonah is not happy, fam. Like, God, God did not want Jonah to be happy clearly because everything Jonah was trying to do, God's like, we're doing the opposite of that. But for some of us, we go, man, I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, I'm, I just don't like it. It don't make me happy. And I know God wants me to be, where's that verse? I just, I would love to, all of us, if we could find it, maybe we work together, we could come up with it and then start a new, whole new church, you know what I'm saying? Like, God wants us to be holy. He wants to be set apart for his special purposes. Now, the joy that we can find in God is unlike joy we can find anywhere else. But that joy does include self-denial. It's not only self-denial, but it includes it. Now, it can be big things and little things, right? Those are some big things. It can be little things. It can be, <laughs> step on my own toes, subscriptions to different streaming outlets. None of us, none of our consciences are bound on that. Everybody's like, yeah, I can use the neighbor's thing, and I can use my, my great-great-grandfather who doesn't live anymore. I'll use their Netflix subscription. That's cool. It works, right? Some shows we watch. We go, it might bother you. Don't bother me. Maybe the reason it doesn't bother us is because our conscience is defiled. Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily. And I want to be tactful and bring some nuance. But one question I want to ask first is this, because I think it's an important question for us to sit on. I really want you to consider it. Are there ways in which the Holy Spirit used to convict you of something or to something that you no longer feel the conviction? Are there ways in which, I mean, this is specifically for Christians who've been in the game, right? Like, are there ways in which the Holy Spirit, you used to feel him convict you to do something or to convict you of something, to run away from it, but you no longer hear that voice anymore? You, if there is an area you can think of, you just have to ask yourself the question, why? you got to ask yourself the question, why? Now, again, it doesn't mean with absolute certainty that your conscience is defiled. It's very possible that the life you were in, there could have been legalism attached to it. There could have been self-righteousness attached to it. Just could have been false beliefs attached to it. And so over time, your conscience has actually changed through spiritual maturity, edification, and coming under the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. That is a reason you could no longer feel conviction. But let me just be real, family. If you used to feel convicted because you used to feel like God wants me to, to dine with him in the Word and pray and enjoy him. And you're like, but now I've grown past that. That you used to feel like he, he actually wants my whole life. He, he, he wants me to love my neighbors and my coworkers and to share my faith. He wants me to, to show mercy to people who need mercy. To help those who need some help. I'm just guessing. But I doubt that's because you've matured past the need to read your Bible, share your faith, serve people, and enjoy community. That's more likely that your conscience has gone from evil to seared to defiled, and now it's changed for you. I don't know what area it might be, but I just know that for many of us that's true. God gives us this compass that's a conscience, 
as a gift of grace in order that he can point us to what's north that we might see the sun. Hebrews 12, verse 1, says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That's what the compass is for, that it might point us to Jesus, that we might see what's right and wrong, that we might see Jesus, that we might love and enjoy Jesus, that we might hope in Jesus. That's why we have a compass. We want to throw off the sin that wants to deceive us, to twist us, and to harden us Hebrews 3, 13, that we might get a better glimpse of Jesus, that we might have a tool to get us online and on track with the only thing in life that can satisfy, the one who came to bring life and life to the full, the one who brings salvation, the one who brings hope. It's Jesus. It's Jesus why we have a conscience to point us to him and him alone. Not morality, but to the one who stands above it, who came before it, who exists beyond it. It's Jesus. But sometimes, again, our conscience just gets so twisted, we say things. Like, look at what Jonah says in his prayer, verse 3. After he's like, God, I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. He says this. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. There is so much irony in this prayer. Literally, two chapters ago, Jonah was, was crying out to God when his life was ebbing away. He was going deep down into the pit. He, he, he was drowning in the ocean, and he cried out for help, and God reached down and pulled him out from the pit, and then now, right now, he saved his life from the waves, and now, right now, we see Jonah saying, God, take away what you just gave me back. You just saved my life, and now he says, I want to be done with it. Like, he literally is spitting in the face of God. Like, God just gave him this gift, and Jonah is saying, I don't even want, can you believe that? How his conscience has gotten all sideways and jacked up, but here is what's crazy about our God. Look at how he responds. With divine silence, he then responds to Jonah in verse 4. And he responds in the way that his son, Jesus, when he walked the earth, often responded. He responds to Jonah's question with a question. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Do you hear it? Is it right for you to be angry? He's saying, Jonah, your conscience is mistuned. Is it right for you to be angry? It's not right for you to be angry. It's right for you to be praising. These things you're despising are the things that I am. The things you're condemn condemning God for is everything he is. And not only is it he that for the Ninevites, but he's that for you. 
Like Jonah, again, couldn't handle the fact that God would show grace to the Ninevites, these people, these Assyrians, these bad people in his mind, because that feels so offensive to him. And I feel like God in his graciousness is just like, I'm everything that you hate. I am that to you, Jonah. And if you had your conscience tuned rightly, you would realize that it's not just offensive I saved the Ninevites, but it's just offensive that I would save a rebellious prophet like you. It's not just offensive that, that God would save the people who were just out there putting the world on fire, like addicted to all sorts of different things and, and not caring about anything and vehemently opposed to God. It is offensive that God would save self-righteous people who grew up in church. That's offensive. The gospel is offensive. That's just what it is. It's offensive because God's gracious. Gracious means that he shows unmerited favor, undeserved privilege, that he dishes out gifts to you that you are in no way worthy of. You could never work to get them. You could, you could never strive hard enough for them, and he just wants to give you grace. He's offensive because he shows compassion to you. He does not treat you as your sins deserve, but instead delivers to you mercy, delivers to you forgiveness. He's slow to anger, slow to anger. Man, the book of Jonah teaches us he's slow to anger. Jonah be running in the opposite direction, God pursues him. He sends a storm, thrown into the sea, God sends a fish, vomits him on the land, a dismal sermon, and God's still pursuing Jonah, being patient with his thick nephness. Can you just imagine how many times we've turned our back to God, stuck our arm out against him, even as a Christian, walking with him, but not living like it, living all sorts of different ways, and he's still slow to anger and patient with us? It says he's abounding in love. That's that word hesed, that hesed love, that covenantal love, that redeem you from your sin kind of love, that buy you back kind of love, that run after you and never stop kind of love, that commitment to you no matter what kind of love. He's abounding in it, meaning he ain't ever going to run out of it, meaning you can't exhaust the end of the grace of God. Instead, he's going to keep coming for you, keep running after you, keep loving you, keep being merciful to you, keep helping you. And he relents from sending calamity. He relents when we repent. There is nothing we have to do. And for some people in this room, I believe you have never, Banyan, come on up. I believe <coughs> you have never enjoyed what it's like to have your conscience tuned to the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I just want to tell you today, there is nothing like it. Because to have it tuned isn't you going and doing all this work. It truthfully is yielding it to the one person who has the power to grab a hold of your heart and change your affections. The one who shed, literally shed his blood, died on a cross, that he might make you a new creation and give you new affections and clothe you in the righteousness, the goodness, and the mercy of God. And I just want you to know it's an incredible way to live with your conscience tuned to him, with that goodness laid over you. And for others of us, I just believe there's areas of our life where we might have grown comfortable in. And I just want to pray that today be the day 
that God says, let's get you back on track to enjoying your salvation and all that comes from it. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you that there is no one like you. <laughs> There's no one who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love like you are. And I just pray we would have eyes this morning to see all of your character, all of your attributes, and all of your goodness, that in a sense you would overwhelm us with how good you are, that we would might see that, and that that goodness might be the thing that compels us to be different, that compels us to say no longer will I be hardened by sin, no longer will I call good bad, but today I will have what is good be good in my life because, God, you're the best thing. So, Jesus, I just pray that, that it would happen by your power, through your grace, for our good. We need you desperately. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website.